0: There's people that couldn't download 1080p today. They'll probably favor a 720p or even a 540p stream. Going back to the brand of Vimeo, this is kind of why it was birthed in the first place. Vimeo prided itself as supporting HD video
1: right out of the gate. What is 4K in your mind, like reasonably today? If a website says we support 4K, at what point do you say bullshit? I think that brings us back to that topic of really
0: understanding how bitrate impacts resolution without easy access to 4K televisions and a internet service provider that can provide you with enough down to support 4K. Without all those pieces to the equation, I don't think it
1: can ever necessarily be solved across the board. I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the DeMuxed Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of
2: VideoJS, the open-source video player. And I'm Phil, the director of Media Technologies Engineering at Brightcove, previously building BBC iPlayer in London. And you're listening to DeMuxed,
1: a podcast for and by engineers working with video. DeMuxed is brought to you by HeavyBit,
3: a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com.
2: We're always looking for topics. So if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. Hey,
1: everybody, welcome to Demuxed again. I'm excited to say we
2: have Phil finally back in
1: the studio. Back in the studio. I'm literally in a different continent. Um, so, yeah, huge thanks to Nick. Obviously, we'll have him back on because he's been fantastic. But uh, we're always glad to see your face, even if it's via video screen. I miss you too. <laughs> Uh, So, Demux News, Um, it's early in the year, obviously, but uh, we do officially have a location, as we've said, and now we have dates. So it's October 17th and 18th at the Bespoke in Westfield, and yes, you heard that correctly, that's two days. So we'll look forward to seeing all of your amazing submissions. Um, We're going to need more of them than ever so we can make sure that we fill the schedule and make use of all the time that we have. So yeah, I guess let's go ahead and dig in. But today we have Matt Fisher from Vimeo, Uh, known Matt since... I think since I moved out to the Bay, I think back then you worked at Twitch when we first met, but why don't you tell us a little about yourself and why you're the one to talk about 4K video today.
0: Yeah, well as was mentioned, my name's Matt Fisher, I'm uh, the lead video playback engineer at Vimeo. I've been there for just over a year now, I guess almost a year and a half, and as you mentioned I came from working at Twitch. Yeah, Why am I the guy to talk about 4K, that's a great question. Aside from the fact that uh, at Vimeo we definitely pride ourselves on high quality video, it's something that we try to enable as much possibility around video delivery and quality and uh, and good consumption experiences for our creators. So, really understanding the current landscape and where we're heading, I think is is extremely important for us, and it's something that I'm
1: truly interested in. So. I guess before we dig into like 4K and 360 and VR, all that sort of stuff, um, which we've talked about very briefly on the show, or at least one episode, right? We had mm-hmm. yeah, Lightfields, which digs into VR mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit, but um, yeah, I guess like let's, let's talk a little about HD's history online, or I guess more generally, just video quality online resolutions. Yeah, yeah. like. My favorite old school online video example is eBombs World. So, like, let's let's go from the beginning of uh, downloading uh, DivX files from eBombs World uh, to today, and yeah, like, let's talk about what that what that journey has been like. Sure. Yeah.
0: So, I guess uh, the real start would be and just well, especially when you look at it from today's perspective, it seems so rudimentary, it seems so simplified. But in all honesty, there's a lot of similarities to what we do today still. Video delivery is still relatively similar to what it was. Maybe we even took a big jump from progressive to segmented delivery, but at the end of the day, it's always just uh, constant iterations, constant upgrades. So looking back that far, I, I, you know, you're talking back in like the 360p, 240p days. Yeah, I of- remember
3: like the. Uh- even in the late nineties you had real player. Right. And yeah. like that yeah. was like, I don't even know, one something P or something. <laughs> right. But it was beautiful. I mean, it was like videos playing in my web browser. Wow. Yeah. Kind right. of rich
2: technology, as Nick would say. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, your screen was probably eight hundred by six hundred. Yes. Probably looked a lot exactly. better.
0: I guess that's what it was, right? Because when you go back and look at any of that content now, there's some there's some great internet videos that have stood the test of time and you go back and look at them now. From the E bombs world days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you look at them now, and you're wondering how you even made out what was playing in the video because it looks so bad. And maybe it is just all relative to the screen size. But at the end of the day, that wasn't too long ago, right? No, yeah, not so. at all.
1: Like, I wonder if that's part of the reason why. What was the uh, the flash site that was so popular? Newgrounds. Newgrounds. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Newgrounds is what I was Newgrounds. thinking about. And I, I wonder if I wonder if the fact that it was just flash cartoons and like the shittiness of the video I mean, you know it wasn't it wasn't video so it was fine right the quality the quality looked fine i wonder well, if well it was all was... vector based too right, right? Exactly. so it
0: scaled beautifully
1: yeah so uh, i wonder if that has something to do with like that being more popular I, I, i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. i'm going on a limb here but I, i'm pretty sure that had more views than
0: i've never thought of it like that that's actually a great point
1: yeah like
3: home star runner and like which looked Radiscoll beautiful at the time and, right yeah, yeah, yeah. especially yeah. when it was
0: The
1: displayed in its native like vector format through a flash player. I mean, even even HomeStar is funny because you go to the website now and it's this tiny little square (laughs) on like the top of your browser window. (laughs) And back then it was just like, wow, will this fit on my in my browser? (laughs) Do I have enough pixels to show this? But yeah, I mean so I I guess like even then though, I remember trying to watch videos on there and those damn loader bars would take Mm. forever, even on like HomeStar or whatever. And then you start talking about something like E-bom's world, and you're oftentimes right, either right-clicking a file and downloading it and watching mm. it locally, or if you're lucky, you have the browser plugin that allows you to watch it in your actual browser. But these things were slow, mm-hmm. so like I feel like it took a while for us to even get to the point where we could reliably watch, you know, I don't, that's not even, what is SD technically?
0: I would say anything sub 720p. Mm-hmm. Okay, so
1: there's no like... Lower limit there. It's just like, (laughs) yeah, I guess one by one, go all the way down if you
0: really want to. That's
1: really low definition, really (laughs) SD. Because I remember when I was legally getting videos online occasionally in college, uh, (laughs) one of my favorite resolutions was five seventy six. Yeah, that's a that's a thing. So, because it was like, I think that's native DVD quality. Like, didn't take quite as long. To, you know to download legally and it looked fine on like my crappy 720p tv right like it was fine so i guess at what point did we kind of make this transition into 720p feeling kind of standard because at this point if a video is not online isn't 720 then mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: are you even well, videoing? And, you know uh, going back to the brand of vimeo this
0: is kind of why it was birthed in the first place right vimeo prided itself as supporting hd video very early on, right out of the gate. So, again, it, it, it's crazy to think that this was only years ago, not decades ago.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it was probably 2006, 2007. I mean, I remember there's a whole slew of like companies that wanted to be the HD YouTube, right? Like, there's, I could probably name 50 at one point around like 2007, Absolutely. 2008, right? And then Vimeo kind of really owned that space. YouTube eventually brought out HD, mm-hmm. right? But there was definitely kind of a wave there of like, I don't know, people jumping on board like, yeah, HD's is the thing. And it's similar to the
0: landscape we have today, where you have the battle of, just because there's a user-generated content platform to deliver this content, you still need people to create it. You still mm-hmm. need people to generate the content and, and put it up there for consumption. And then on top of that, you need to be able to consume it. So whether that means having the hardware capabilities or internet capabilities as a... As a bottleneck to overcome, that's uh just more and more variability, right? So I think when you compare and contrast it to today's ecosystem, there's a lot of similarities.
1: Let's talk about 4K. So I think most online service providers would cap out at like ten eighty. I don't think I've seen anything higher than ten eighty. And you're lucky, lucky if you get that online today, right? I feel like most HD if you're clicking HD, you're getting seven twenty. Maybe you're getting ten eighty.
3: Yeah, you even have the like the phone plans now, like they define SD as four eighty P and under. And they'll cap you, right? Like they try and cap you. It's based on bitrate, but they try and cap you at the the file the resolution sizes and the four eighty P is S D and seven twenty is HD. And I think they don't let you go above that. If you're one of these like unlimited plans mm. where you can turn on the like smart video capping mm. or whatever. The, so, yeah. the air quotes unlimited. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious as to how big
0: of an issue that could potentially present down the road where we're not really decoupling bitrate from resolution. Mm-hmm. And as we strive to lower bit rates and increase resolutions, how that manifests itself from mm-hmm. you know, especially like a cell
2: phone plan concept. I actually found in testing something the other day a British internet service provider that was man in the middling HLS manifests and stripping out higher bit rates. Mm, no way. I'm not gonna name and shame, but <laughs> it's out there. I mean, would SSL help there like if if, if you're an internet service provider today and you want to actually deliver HD files yeah this is like, actually how we found it we found it because we realized the manifest was not behaving the same way over TLS as it was over clear wow yeah so we we've gotten
1: to 720 1080 you know some people some people can see it some people can't where does 4K fall into that in terms of like the support spectrum today what is 4K in your mind like Watchable 4K reasonably today. If a website says we support 4K, at what point do you say bullshit, and what point do you say like, mm-hmm. like yeah, that's legit? Again, I think you
0: have to really look at it from two perspectives. There's the bit rate and then there's the resolution. Right? Anybody can deliver a 4K resolution with very low bit rate, and I don't think the any experience would be would would benefit from it whatsoever. So, um, you know, the landscape as it exists today is is. A wide spectrum, but narrow usage, I would say. Again, going back to the idea that uh, when you look at it from like just a 1080p perspective, and when 1080p first came out, it wasn't too long ago when having a 1080p TV was all the rage. It was a big deal to jump mm-hmm. up, even from 720 to 1080p, in my opinion at least. Mm-hmm. And then the downscaling factor came in as well. When you had 1080p content being downscaled to a 720p display, it looked all right as well. So. The landscape today in terms of content is is growing, and I think um, 4K is still in its relative infancy. I think once you start seeing more and more content down to like the handheld device, cell phone devices, start really pushing more and more 4K video, that really helps drive a lot of the ecosystem as well. But it's end-to-end, right? It's about the creators and it's about the consumers. So without easy access to 4K televisions and a internet service provider that can provide you with enough down to support 4K, and I'm talking, let's say, plus 30 megabit downloads just for that one video. Without all those pieces to the equation, I don't think it can ever necessarily be solved across the board. But that being said, I think the spectrum, as I've mentioned, the spectrum just keeps getting wider. There's people that couldn't download 1080p today in some parts of the world. They're going to have trouble doing that. They'll probably favor a 720p or even a 540p stream. But there's 2K video out there right now, and there's a fair amount of it. And there's 4K video out there now, and there's growing numbers of that as well. So, From an engineer's perspective, it creates just more challenges. I think uh, uh, delivery and smart delivery is going to be a challenge that increases over time, especially with the landscape we're in right now. We've only really been talking about television screens and computer screens from this perspective too, mm-hmm. right? So you can venture into the, we can even just start scraping the surface with the idea of VR and spherical video and things mm. like that, where I think the conversation completely stems off into a new direction. But I think it it, it it only continues to validate the need for these higher resolutions over time.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about like why. Like why do you why do you think this is necessary in 2000 mm. and do you think it's necessary in 2018 or like you know earlier before we started recording we were talking about like why this is needed mm. when you say that do you think this is needed in terms of as an industry we need to be thinking about this for next year or is this like is 4K just a gimmick at NAB and IBC in 2017 2018 mm-hmm. and it's not something that we should really care about for consumers or do you think this is something that we need to start worrying about now or do you think it's something we need to start worrying about like 2020? Like, do you see, what I'm saying like the. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think um,
0: it's not a deadline-driven investment, right? Oh, yeah, like from yeah. our from our perspective, uh, and a lot of like, and I say like people working in the video industry, and even from a consumer's perspective, I wouldn't say there's any deadline. There's no prioritization around it. If it's accessible and it's not expensive, people will flock to it. I don't see why they wouldn't, but I think we're breaching a uh, kind of a new realm where you're going to have those people that will continually argue that having a 60- inch display, which is a relatively large display in today's standards, that you're not going to see any benefit between 4 and 8K, hmm. just from a perception perspective. Right, right? And you know, the argument that uh, anything above 4k requires like an 80 inch display. I think looking at it in that perspective is a little bit narrow-minded. There's a lot of areas, as we just mentioned, like the whole VR tier. That I think that's a, that that's
3: a huge conversation to have in terms of putting validity behind any of this. Just talking about VR as like higher resolution in itself, because it's essentially like just a bigger video. Right. Resolution, I don't right? think
0: anybody right. in today's landscape is having. Absolute jaw drop factors with spherical video, right? I I think spherical video is great. I think it's a step in a very cool direction. You know, just whenever I look at spherical video and and VR integrations with video, I think of just from an educational perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine how cool it would be to be in school and have VR integrated into the classroom or something (laughs) like that, but. But there's a lot of other use cases that I think a lot of people ignore. So, uh, you know, thinking from uh, a content creator's perspective, just because they're filming in 8K doesn't mean they necessarily want people to consume it in 8K. They can be downsampled or cropped and edited, which is, I think, a huge benefit from a creator's perspective. To be able to film in 8K and not even have to pan the camera, but be able to do that in post, I think is very enabling Mm. for editors and directors and content creators.
3: Oh, interesting. So that'd be like they could crop down into the frame, like so they have a much wider resolution. So yeah, so they can move the camera around within that wider frame.
0: Absolutely, right. Um, That's interesting. Right, the idea of um, having more ability to do things in post Mm -hmm. uh, and keep things as high quality as you expected. I think that's very cool. And again, a a kind of a an area of interest a lot of people don't necessarily think about when they're on the consumption side of the Mm. of the equation.
2: It's one of those things that that suddenly came up when we talked about a couple of weeks ago about um, light field cameras as well, right? Making a lot more decisions in post rather than it really being about, you know, the high resolution immediately. You know, it's more about giving the directors and the producers and the editors more decisions later down the production chain. And I think we get the same thing here, right?
0: Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I think the next step past that is okay, I have a film that I'm working on and it's shot in 8K, that's, that's fine. We're probably going to release it at a 4K max or even a 1080p video online. There's still the question about the shareability factor of that content during its creation and the feasibility of using online tools to do that. Right. So if I had a 4K video and put it on, online for my team, to all view and, and and put notes on and play back on their home television to do you know test views of it and such why shouldn't we enable that why should the rule be that um, oh it's not worthwhile for the grand audience so you're just gonna have to plug in a hard drive or figure <laughs> out some kind of high capacity fast solution for storing your content and playing it back on devices for your unique use case <laughs> so, <laughs> from our perspective I think it it, it would be, a little ignorant not to pay attention to it and not to give it the interest that it deserves. But I think the big unanswered question that everybody would ask is when does it become a reality? Hmm. And I think that's a tough question to, to answer. I think the only concrete date or time or expectation I've really seen around it is the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, which hmm. will be broadcast in AK. Whoa! Really? Now, who who can consume that outside of <laughs> Japan? Because at the end of the day, the the Japanese are really leading the way, and they have for quite a while. But you know, the NHS has done some really cool stuff in research, and they're always ahead of the curve around this. And I think what they're doing, especially around their involvement with the 2020 Olympics, or so it seems up to this up to this point, will really help solidify the need for this, and um, where
2: the need is more evident. I think we'll find out as we travel down that road. It's interesting because the first demo I saw of 4K was Olympics content when I was working at the BBC. And we actually had NHK come over and demo a load of the, the stuff that they were doing for it. Um, it was going down a load of BBC Backbones experimental at the time for uh, the 2012 Olympics. So it's not surprising, but it kind of makes sense, I guess, that they're pushing the 8K agenda for the next one.
1: When we uh, When we talk about accessing... I don't know. Maybe you could tell us, like, from from Vimeo's perspective, when you have when you're looking at user data for watching content, what, what we've what we've heard, for example, from folks at YouTube, is that surprisingly enough, people will actually select a higher bandwidth and then be okay with just like waiting for mm-hmm. that to load. Like they're okay with a much longer startup time, mm-hmm. but they would rather see the higher bitrate, even if it takes them longer to get there. Right? Like with Vimeo's perception. As like being high quality, I would assume that people would do the same thing, especially if you're watching like, you know, art house on there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to want to watch it in like 240p. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I assume you guys are already seeing this in some way and in, in, play out in your data.
0: Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned that because, uh, well, in relation to initially speaking about eBombs World, because I think that mentality of the play, pause, walk away, come back in 15 minutes to watch your content. That's a very archaic way of looking at things and I think it's reminiscent of like progressive delivery. Right, where you're going to download the file from start to finish either way. And if you <laughs> kick off the download, you know that yeah, the more time you wait, the more you're going to be able to consume when you come back. That's not necessarily the case in today's world. Right. Right? You could easily start a video and the buffering algorithm within the playback mechanism is going to Allocate the buffer it sees adequate to allow you to start playing back the video and hopefully not rebuffer down the line, but might not allow you to allocate any more buffer than is configured in that mechanism. So mm. I don't know. When I look at the idea of like people play pausing, walking away, and coming back, it's very circumstantial whether that's actually going to benefit them or not. So, <laughs> but to that point, I think. If I was to like point a finger at a demographic that would favor that behavior more than others, it would be less of the casual consumers and more of like the, the professional consumers. People mm. that, uh, again, are working with creators or giving feedback to creators or have a reason to kill that time to watch content. Generally speaking, I think a lot of the use cases of just people discovering content and playing it back, they still really want that start time to be as minimal as possible. And it goes many ways, but again, I think the main point I'm trying to make is that it's a funny mentality to have and I think it, it it's really based off of people's experience playing back progressive content, not segmented
3: content. Yeah. well, you, you touch on something there where it's like there's a lot of like user expectations built into this, right? Like right. that's going to be a major driver I think of like of these formats, right? And one of the things that we've heard is like, and maybe you guys have experienced this, when you when you increase the video resolution for the general audience, right, most people don't notice. Like that's not going to have a huge impact on on your watch time, right? Mm-hmm. But if you then brought it back down, that's when you'll see the impact. Like people will get used to the higher quality resolution and not like the lower resolution and start to complain, right? And so I think that's really interesting. Like it's, it almost means that like, I don't know. Whoever gets there first is going to be like pushing everybody else to <laughs> to be upgrading their mm-hmm. resolution. Like, if for instance, if like Vimeo or YouTube like started doing four K as as a norm, and you know, and assuming that there was devices that supported it, like it would start to become the user expectation and start to like pull everybody else to do the same. Because mm-hmm. and these consumers would go to other websites and say like, oh, well, the, the video here's crap, right? So I think that yeah. brings us back to that topic of. Really understanding how bitrate
0: impacts resolution, right? Because it's mm-hmm. again, it's one thing to encode or transcode to 4K, but if you don't have the bitrate to back it up, it, it's going to be heavily dependent on the content you're viewing as to how good it actually looks, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, people will always strive for more clear, beautiful looking video with the best quality of experience it can possibly have. Unfortunately, that's not always feasible. And I think that's. That spectrum of ability, I guess you could say, to playback and consume content, continues to grow, and I think that's one of the interesting parts of this continual evolution down the line of higher and higher resolutions, more bits being shoved down the pipe, whether the ISP or <laughs> connection can handle it or not. Um, the demand will continue to grow. Unfortunately, the ecosystem isn't growing at the same pace as the demand. And when you look at it from a worldwide perspective, having the ability to have 10 megabit download speed across the entire planet is still a dream, right? Like that's a pretty crazy realization to have when you start talking about delivering video content that could be well over 50 megabits per second.
2: <laughs> so when we talk about like the ability to consume and the the desire for the content, where are we now in terms of like hardware support, right? I'm sure I read a stat somewhere that said you know fifteen twenty percent of TVs that are being sold now are UHD uh, quote ready, four K (laughs) ready. Where are we realistically? And you know, like I guess the the mobile market is is getting there, but you know, there's not that much there that's anywhere close. Like, what was the feeling at CES this year?
0: I think the eight K was generally a big talking point at CES this year, but again whether that's the hype train <laughs> rolling along and, and, and keeping people aware that these hardware manufacturers are in this space and they are thinking forward, I think is very reassuring. <laughs> but whether whether or not that is something you'll see in your living room next year, I think is pretty doubtful. You mentioned cell phones as well, which I think is a, a, another thing to consider because uh, when you look at the lifespan of the average Consumer cell phone as opposed to the lifespan of some, the same person's television, they're dramatically different, mm-hmm. right? We're on six to 12 month cell phone lifespans now, mm-hmm. right? For a lot of people. <laughs> and people don't do that with their televisions, right? <laughs> There's probably a, still a lot of people that are com- comfortable uh, getting home from work and watching Netflix on their 1080p, 40 some inch television, and it works completely fine and there's no real need uh, until the price drops so much that you need a new TV anyways and the de facto solution is just a 4K display. Mm. I think that is a is a major driver in terms of when creators are considering how they want to deliver their content or how businesses want to deliver content whether it's worthwhile. So you have you have these cell phone screens that are beautiful and they're getting better and better but in terms of pixel density, how far do you go before it's just not worthwhile because of the size of the
3: device? When you're talking about a phone, like there's got to be a max, right? We're talking like Apple sells Retina displays. It's like right. this is what this is what it should your eye, right? Red, like,
0: like Retina displays look beautiful until you put a magnifying lens in front of it and put the screen two inches away from your face in a VR headset, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you can start noticing pixels again, right? Like. Huh. So as we continue all these new mediums for playback, the equation grows. Huh. And I think the considerations increase. You know, the idea of having like k on a sixty plus inch television screen, when you pull that into the mobile perspective, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Hmm. Doesn't make sense in in, in in some other playback mechanisms and others. Well, if it's VR as opposed to just watching a YouTube or Vimeo video right on your handset in your hand. I think it does. Does it mean that you deliver some types of video for some playback options as opposed to others? Maybe, but I still think when you think about the whole landscape, there are areas that have a higher priority or a higher validity of use around uh, some
2: of these resolutions. It's super interesting because obviously Netflix's post-production guidelines say for an original you have to deliver in 4K. Right, you you can't deliver in anything under four K. I think pull it up, but the, I think a minimum emit rate is like two hundred forty megabits as well. Hmm. Right for for what you're delivering into Netflix, you know, regardless of whether they actually choose to deliver it at that sort of resolution. But you know, if you're shooting a Netflix original, you better be shooting it at four K. Right, hmm. and it
0: makes sense when you think about it. They're pushing a lot of four K content, and especially around their originals, they would. When you talk about uniformity around and expectations around playback quality, if you're watching one Netflix original tonight and it looked gorgeous, and then you watch another one tomorrow, that's a Netflix original as well, but mm. of lesser quality. Maybe it's noticeable. Maybe it's not. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. But creating some uniformity behind it, I think, would would remove a lot of
2: uh, potential. Bad feedback, case. If it's Netflix content, all I know is it's going to be really grainy. Every original is grainy. I don't want film grain. I know you didn't shoot it on film. <laughs> so
1: far, we've been talking about this largely from the perspective of the consumer, what the consumer wants, what the hardware can support. Everybody in front of a microphone right now uh, is more on the delivery side of that mm-hmm. equation. And, you know, Basically, making this stuff play back in a in a web browser or in some other sort of like online delivery way, a lot of this is already giving me a little bit of heartburn. Um, So yeah, for people in our industry, like why are people going to hate this? I mean, (laughs) aside from aside from just like massive CDN bills and like chucking the shit around internally, like in your pipelines, Mm -hmm. like. Why are people going to hate it and like are people going to not hate it enough to uh, like is like the customer love and like our hate like at what point does that like cross cross each other that's a great question i guess it depends how
0: deep your pockets are <laughs> but i think something to consider to that point is as you increase the resolution or your highest profile available let's say generally the it's not just that the transcode ladder is going to increase in the steps to get there right so going from 1080p to 4k if you're working on a good bitrate like a good abr strategy generally you don't want to make jumps from 1080p to 4k <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going to be a going to be pretty annoying viewing experience um, hmm. if even possible the circumstances to jump from 1080p to 4k directly and back and forth would be <laughs> Very unique, but nevertheless, if you're going to deliver 4K content, you would want the profiles to follow suit. So that would mean 1080p, 2K, maybe 5K, 6K, 8K, which dramatically increases transcode times, uh, the amount of effort that needs to go in to just getting the video into a format that can be delivered over the web. Then you have to deal with all the storage costs of storing all of that video, and then the delivery costs. So. I think the bulk of the concern from the platforms that are delivering this is more from a transcode perspective, because it depends on how many people are watching it, right? I think it's all relative to how much you're going to actually pay for it, to how much you're delivering it. If you're transcoding everything and only a small fraction of of your consumers are watching the highest profile, I think that's the big consideration to make. But at the end of the day, this is all doable now. It's just circumstantial as to if it fits the model at <laughs> whatever you're working with and whatever you want to deliver and how you want to deliver it and who you're delivering
2: it to. And this all feeds into next-gen codecs, right? Because right. If, if you're a Netflix subscriber, right, you, you only get UHD 4K content over HEVC. They don't deliver it any other way. There is no H.264. And in my mind, I think I don't see anyone delivering 8K. I mean, do we really think people are going to deliver 8K over the internet in HEVC? Or is it something that's going to be, you know, something we don't realistically see until we've got AV one out there and actually get some gains from that? Yeah, whether that's a physical
0: blocker, it's 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 not right. It's not like an absolute blocker mm. because we can accomplish AK video with HTPC right now. Whether that's the best solution and whether that drives it into a much higher saturation point amongst the industry and consumers and creators, uh, that's a good point. Again, I think. The high priority ticket there, and that and that question is the ISPs and 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 what people can actually obtain in terms of in terms of bandwidth to their house, right? So, uh, again, looking at it from like a a worldwide perspective, and ten megabits is the dream for everybody, and then somebody else can have fiber to their door. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a very very large playing field to consider. So, I think that it, you know it's going to continue to grow. So. Whether HEVC will get us there and uh, get us there to a, a saturation point that maybe what 4K or 1080P is now, I wouldn't want to bet either way. But I, I I see it being a kicker, but maybe not the receiver that's going to take us all the way into the end
2: zone. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have a feel on what sort of bit rate we need to be talking about for HEVC 8K to be meaningfully pretty on say like 65, 70 inch display?
0: I don't really like to think of that in like the CBR mentality more than like the VBR mentality, right? Um, mm. I think uh, the the range is and ah, nah, I'm sure everybody has their own opinions on this, but <laughs> uh, I would say I would say uh, anything above fifty megabits is good looking a k. It's circumstantial depending on what what the video is if we're talking something that has you know beautiful sharp edges or a lot of colors or a lot of movement or That's going to change, but uh, you can get away with relatively good-looking 8K at sub-50 megabit. Whether that is what we'll consider a standard, I don't know. I think right now, anything below 50 megabits on an 8K video is just getting us to 8K in the environment we're in now. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you had the feasibility to up the bitrate, I think everybody would take it. Mm. If they could,
2: so does that mean we need to start thinking about a new physical medium? You know, uh, Blu-ray's got us a long way. Blu-ray surprisingly got us to ultra high def, 4K UHD delivery. Do we think Blu-ray, uh, you know, even the the high rate, the high storage Blu-rays are going to get us anywhere with 8K? Or are we getting towards the end of you know physical media at all in that format? Wow, interesting.
3: Yeah, that is a great question. We need a Blu ray the size of a laser (laughs) disc. Yes.
1: You heard it here first. Online delivery is
3: dead.
0: Yeah, that's a great (laughs) question, though. As somebody that doesn't have a DVD player or a Blu ray player in my house, I wouldn't be sad to not see that come to fruition. I think. uh, but that's not fair. That's not a fair way to look at it. I think <laughs> going back to the the fact that the majority of the world can't have a, an internet connection that can deal with 2K video, I think that's a valid concern. Whether that manifests itself in a in a completely new medium or not, I think is the real question. I don't think we're ready for a new medium. I think the concept of digital storage for video has ran its course, I knock on wood, I could be completely wrong in saying this, but if you have the capability on your internet connection to be able to download that quality of video, then I think you've pulled yourself out of that race. So as that group size continues to get smaller and smaller, is it worthwhile for manufacturers to even create new devices knowing that they're going to have a shorter lifespan than what would be considered... That of a DVD player. Great question. I I wish I had more insight onto that, but I'm the type of person that
3: is out of that game completely. So, well, yeah, I feel like today it, it's a hard drive, right? Right. And it's like, how often do you want it store? How often do you want a physical device? that can only store one movie. Right. Right. Yeah, like you would that's... think
0: that if if we evolved into a new medium, we would just have solid state drives in our pockets and use that. Like you'd go up to rent a solid state
2: drive. <laughs> 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 Red box. Yeah. <laughs>
3: right.
2: It's really interesting for me because I, I I kind of thought this and then I bought ultra high def Blu-ray and I actually ended up having to buy the player to go with it, which actually ended up being an Xbox One. But I was blown away by how much better it was than Netflix's 4K. I really was. Because I realized like mm. like the bit rates for the dual layer is like 82 to 108 megabit. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of data when you talk about H E V C as well. I was blown away by how good it looked in comparison. Like I, I actually tried to find a movie that was out on ultra high def Blu-ray and on one of the streaming services in UHD, so I could back to back them and have strong opinions, but couldn't find any annoyingly. <laughs>
1: Question is, can you get Altered Carbon on DVD from Netflix's <laughs> DVD service? <laughs>
2: and that show's pretty violent. Uh, that surprised me. I wasn't <laughs> expecting it. <laughs> I'm quite enjoying it so far, but I am really enjoying it.
1: <laughs> that show in particular plays well into the next question of how does HDR play into all of this? When we talk about 4K, you know, HDR is the other word that's thrown around a lot in terms of like new advancements and like high quality viewing experiences. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, what is what is the relationship between 4K and HDR in your mind? In terms of HDR, or increasing
0: the color gamut and actually seeing more colors in in video content, effectively. I think it's a super important change that is going to be slower to manifest itself than I would like to see. In terms of its relationship to resolution, I've always been of the mindset that they're pretty independent from one another. I think a lot of the comparison are just being made in relation to resolution because of the time we're at right now, the move from h two six four, into like the h265 realm the support for it at at uh, a higher quality but also on devices that support it which are of higher quality now so i think all the pieces are just falling onto the same table at the same time and i think a lot of those relationships or thoughts around the how the two are related i think are just more circumstantial than anything nevertheless As excited as I am about higher resolution, especially on different mediums and different platforms, I'm just as excited for HDR. I think once you start consuming actual HDR content and uh, especially on a big, beautiful screen, you realize how awesome it actually is Mm. and how that uh, represents itself with different types of content. You know, with like sports, I think will be awesome. Movies, more and more movies, feature films, and such. It will really help benefit the landscape. Coupled with high resolution, coupled with areas like uh, virtual reality, uh, I think only make it better and better. Especially in virtual reality, right? If you're watching 360 video, the the more it hurts my eyes to look at the sun in video, <laughs> <laughs> the better, in my opinion, right? Um, uh, when you pulling yourself into the virtual reality landscape, the anything we can do to trick your mind and keep you tricked for a longer period of time creates a better experience. Doing that with games and such uh, and full motion capture I think is much easier to accomplish than just a 360 video Mm -hmm. with a fixed camera position or at least what we're used to with 360 content right now. So um, removing the screen door effect with increasing the size of the video, the resolution of the video, the bit rate of the video, the color spectrum of the video I think all gets us closer to a world where That false reality can continue to trick your mind longer than, say, just watching a general 360 video, where you can see the stitching, and you can see the blurriness, and you can't see things far away. So yeah, um, related, but I think coincidentally related, in my opinion.
2: Got it. I think a lot of people would say that 1080p high dynamic range content looks better than 4K, especially when you think about on a screen that doesn't necessarily, you know, if if you've got some bandwidth to spare, but not enough to get a... You know, a full UHD tank 4K stream down the pipe. A lot of people are going to get much more benefit visually from picking up a 1080 stream. There, sure,
0: uh, yeah, I can't argue with that. And on top of that, I think watching a 1080p that was downsampled from 4K content looks even better, right? So, oh, yeah, oh, again, yeah. going back to the argument that from a creator's perspective, I think there's more validity behind high, super high resolutions now, especially in the online ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Than the consumers, because of all the hurdles that a consumer just has to jump over just to get it, if they can even find the content, but from a creator's perspective, the amount of doors you open by overshooting or uh, downsampling that content I think are monumental. I think that, that can be a huge win. But I'm looking at this as somebody who's not necessarily a creator and looking at it as like kind of the fly on the wall. in In my opinion, it would be a much better circumstance to be in to have overshot things and to have more options in the editing room. So, how, how long until I can shoot 4K on my phone? Do you think? It depends what kind of 4K. Again, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we, I'm sure you can get a lot of phones can have sensors that can shoot nice 4K video. Whether yeah. that's a high bit rate, whether it has the frames per second that uh, you know shooting. Sub thirty FPS, four K as opposed to sixty FPS, four K. At what bit rate? Yeah, I, I don't think that, that world is far off at all. I think that world's coming to fruition already. Hmm. Again, it, you ask yourself, like, how does that manifest itself when you go and look at just point and shoot content, right? Maybe the the realm of like very jittery content that is shot in four K. Does that open up a realm that? allows video stabilization Mm -hmm. algorithms to work better. Mm. They have a lot more room for correction so that, sure, you're still overshooting on your phone, but everything's going to come out like it looked like it was shot on a dolly.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, That would be great Mm. if you had the option. So from a creator's perspective, I think the option increase is great. Then the big question is, is that do you use the internet to facilitate a mechanism to allow creators to share and create and and modify and collaborate online around this content in its native form? Or do you just go ahead and run a transcode over that raw content so it can be dealt with online and then brought back almost verbally to an editor mm. who's dealing with the raw? You know, just that back and forth seems a little ludicrous, might be circumstantial in terms of how people are set up today, but. In a perfect world, I think if you can facilitate all of this over the internet, it would be the best case. And I think this goes back to why bother having a new hard physical medium for video past blue right now when and if you can facilitate
1: plus 4K content over the internet. Cool. Well, we're we're coming up on time. So uh I would like to say that I think the end goal that we've come to here is that. We know we've made it once we need to wear eclipse sunglasses when we watch content mm. on a television, right? That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: We'll have welders masks on our on our desk <laughs> so we can have some longevity in our profession. Perfect. There's a million dollar idea for you right now. Well,
1: I think that's also a million dollar uh, attack vector for the nation. <laughs> so. All right, well, thank you so much for joining Matt. Yeah. This is uh, that. Oh, I appreciate awesome. it. It was so, great to be here. That's all we have for today, but as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree. So please reach out on Twitter at demuxed.
2: To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders.